The message you are listening to is recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2019 Campus Outreach New Year's Conference. More information about Campus Outreach New Year's Conference can be found at conycnd.com. Hey guys, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, looks like that's about all the people going through the hallway. Yeah, it'd be great. We good? Okay, um, I've recently had the flu, that's why I sound like I do right now. Um, so forgive me for that. Uh, I got a tea that was given to me earlier, it's helping, but still not working great. Um, so this is two by two. Jesus planned for mission together. Somehow I always get paired with the sex talk and 10 people show up, so whatever. Maybe next year I'll do the sex talk. <laughs> um, so this is about uh, mission evangelism. Glad you guys are here. Uh, just a little bit about me. Uh, my name is Josh Crawford, and I work at Eastern Kentucky University, which is part of the Lexington region. And uh, my wife and I, we've been doing this for, uh, I guess, about seven years. Been part of Camp Outreach uh, since we were students. Um, we both graduated back in 2013. And uh, yeah, we've been to a lot of New Year's conferences. And I don't know what number this is, 10, 11, 12, something like that. So good to be here with you guys. Um, talking about mission, uh, evangelism is really uh, important to us. Uh, we, we, by God's grace, we've given our life to uh, doing this on the college campus uh, for the last seven years together. And, uh, so I hope that the next few minutes will be helpful for you guys. I do want it to be uh, some dialogue, uh, especially since we have a smaller group. So, uh, so I'll just start off by saying uh, why uh, when you think about evangelism, and I'm guessing most of you are here because you've done evangelism or you want to do evangelism, uh, what hinders you the most, would you say, uh, in doing evangelism? Fear of man? Yeah. yeah for sure. Fear of rejection. People you trust. I'm sorry. Finding people you trust enough to do it with you. Yeah. Yeah, so fear is a big factor for sure. Um, what are, I mean, what's kind of the underlying issue of that fear? Would you say maybe for your own experience or just how you think about it? Ill-equipped. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Lack of confidence. And just like lack of lack of like trusting God that like He'll give you the verses. Yeah, so I think all those things are true. I hope that uh, what we can all admit is that we all, no matter if we're super gifted in evangelism, no matter if we've done it a lot, we all probably have fears that we have to work through or don't work through. Uh, they're all different, uh, you know, beliefs and unbeliefs that we go into evangelism with, that we struggle with. Um, so I hope that 
you know, this will be helpful for some of those things. So the title 2x2 two two comes from, uh, probably you've read it before, um, Mark 6, 7. says that um, Jesus called the 12, so his apostles, and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So this is the way that Jesus sent his disciples to go and preach the gospel to people. So one thing I want us to think about is that evangelism is not mechanical. It's not something that is an input where I give you know, the right words and uh, automatically, like a machine, there will be an output of someone coming to Christ. And I think we all know that, um, but I think sometimes we function as if uh, that's the case, as if, as if evangelism is mechanical. If I say the right thing, right, uh, I fear that I won't have the right words, I won't know what to say. Um, if I say the right thing, though, uh, it'll come out right. If I don't say the right thing, it might come out wrong. Um, here are a few things, just in summary, what evangelism includes. One is prayer, two is love, three is conversation, and four is a call to follow Jesus. It's really simple and straightforward. Um, but here it is a little bit more teased out. So ten of them, prayer, fasting, hospitality, service, modeling godliness, sympathy, exposure to Christian community, curiosity about their life and personal objections of Christianity, presenting the gospel for them, and calling them to reject a life without Jesus and to follow him. Those, those aren't necessarily in chronological order. These are just a list. Um, but I would say if you're going to talk about evangelism because of its dynamic nature and its organic nature, you have to at least list those 10 things out from biblical principles or biblical commandments. The problem is most of us don't do this. Uh, we don't, most of us don't share the gospel. And I would say because we see it as an individual work. So when I list that, or when, whenever you read those things in uh, particularly the gospels, the New Testament, I think most of us read those as if I have to do those myself uh, for a lost person that I know, maybe my friend, or a co-worker, a teammate, whatever it may be. My proposition for this talk is that doing evangelism and living on mission is exponentially more powerful and dynamic and joyful if it is done in community. Um, and basically my two points are the whys to that. The first one is because it reflects our God. The second one is because God is present in the community. So um, just to talk about the first one, mission in community reflects our God. Um, and I'm going to put the verses up here from Mark 1, which is just Mark 1, 9 through 15. So it's just a few verses, but... Uh, I think Mark 1 is one of the most powerful chapters in the Bible, in particular this section. And we get a, uh, a lot of what I'm saying comes from this passage. Somebody want to read that so I can say my voice a little bit? 
those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in, in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and a spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and angels were ministered. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So in your Bible, you'll have a heading over each one of these sections. So this part would be Jesus is baptized, Jesus is tempted, and then Jesus begins his ministry. The first part there is obviously when Jesus goes to his cousin, John the Baptist, and asks John, who's been baptizing people and telling them to repent, because uh, the one who is greater than I is coming. And John says, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and, and to uh, strap his sandals and untie his sandals. So John is telling of the coming Lord. Um, and Jesus comes, shows up on the scene, and asks John to baptize him. And then there's this beautiful picture of what happened. It's really vivid, and this is given in, uh, in the Gospels. It says that right when Jesus comes out of the water, that immediately he sees, Jesus sees, the Spirit. Uh, it says immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. So Jesus comes out of the water and he sees, uh, the way the Bible says it, it's this really um, kind of intense word that all the gospel writers use. Uh, the ESV does a good job when it says it's being torn open. And it's as if heaven cannot wait to get to Jesus. And it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, descending on him like a dove. And this is a picture of what's given in Genesis 1 when God creates the heavens and the earth. And the Spirit of God is hovering like a dove over the face of the deep. And there's this new creation in the Gospels where Jesus is starting a brand new creation uh, of his people, of God's community, of the kingdom. And the Father expresses his love for Jesus, for the Son. The Father says, you are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. And this picture is, is really a zoomed-in um, understanding of what our God is like. The Christian God is very different from every other God in the sense that we say that there is only one God who exists in three different persons. So our God exists as one God, but in community. The Father and the Son and the Spirit. You've probably heard that said before. You've probably heard, you know, uh, one God in three persons almost like a math problem, you know, which is okay to understand something, but something like that doesn't really get your heart pumping for talking about the Trinity, right? But when you start looking at how the Trinity relates to itself, how the Father relates to the Son and the Son to the Father and the Spirit to the Son and the Father, you see this beautiful picture of our God, that our God literally exists in love. The Spirit is called the Spirit of Love, and the Spirit connects 
the Father to the Son, and He is how the Father relates to the Son, and the Son relates to the Father through the Spirit of love, and it's this beautiful essence of love, in the sense that all love that we know comes from this tribunal. It's an after, it's an effect of this love. So the father loves his son so much that he tears open the heavens to express his love for the son. It's not a gentle coming to his son, walking, pacing. It is a tearing down pursuit of his son to tell him, I love you and I'm pleased with you. And this is what we understand as delight. <clears throat> Love is, is an amazing word, but we use it so much it kind of loses its power. When we talk about delight, this is what we're talking about. When, when the father looks at the son and he says, I love you, he doesn't just stop with I love you. He says, I'm also pleased with you. Meaning that because of who you are, I just want to see you. I want to be with you. I want to give you all things and that's exactly what the Father does for Jesus. Think about this. The Father says that Jesus Christ will have the name that's above every name. Not the Father. Jesus Christ will have the name that's above every name. That's given to him by his Father. But Jesus, during his life, he continually says, I haven't come to do my own will. I've come to do the will of my Father who sent me. Somebody comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, tell me this. Jesus says, there's nobody good but God. Jesus is constantly pointing to his father the way that the father is pointing to the son. And this is part of the picture of the Trinity, that this is the way the Trinity relates to himself. And Jesus, before he dies and leaves his disciples, he tells them, I'm going away but there is coming one who is greater than me. He is the helper. He's going to remind you of all things. And actually through him you're going to do greater things than what I've done. So Jesus, because of his love for the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, Jesus doesn't point to himself again. He points not only to his Father, but he points to the Spirit, the helper who will come. And Jesus is deflecting the attention. Jesus is deflecting the love and he's saying, look to them. And in response, the Father is saying, no, look to Jesus. He has the greatest name above everything. And the Spirit is the one who raises Jesus from the dead and ascends him to the right hand of the Father. And the Spirit is the one who, who changes people's hearts to love Jesus. The Spirit points us to Jesus. And then the Spirit writes the Bible and the Bible is all about Jesus. The Spirit doesn't write the Bible about himself. The Spirit writes the Bible about Jesus. And he makes Jesus the main character. So you see this beautiful, powerful, loving relationship of our God. Right here in the first few verses of Mark. So this is part of the reason why we do evangelism and community. It's because our God is a community in and of himself. He is the ultimate community. He is the original community. 
But also we see that <coughs> Jesus is baptized. The Spirit descends on him like a dove. Um, possessing Jesus the way that the Spirit possesses us. The Spirit immediately drives Jesus out to the wilderness, out to confront Satan and to be tempted. Jesus doesn't go to Satan by himself. Jesus goes to Satan with this, the third person of the Trinity. He goes to Satan with the Spirit. Jesus is tempted, and then Jesus is ministered to by the angels. So even after Jesus' temptation, he is not alone. He is with the Spirit, but he also has angels who are, you know, other than God, the most powerful beings that we find in the Bible, like 144,000 people getting killed or whatever it is in the Old Testament by one angel, like, they're crazy. They're not babies, you know, flying around. And then, right after that, John is arrested, Jesus goes into Galilee, and he proclaims the gospel. Jesus begins his ministry, and he says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So what we can take from this is one, that Jesus did not do ministry alone. So Jesus waits upon the Spirit to start his ministry. Two, that our God is a community. He exists as a community. And three, that the Trinity itself is the gospel. What I mean by that is that love that the Father expresses for the Son here, that triune love that we see in John 1, 14, whatever, whatever that is, 11 and 12, that is what we are brought into by the gospel. That the gospel isn't about us being forgiven of our sins necessarily. The gospel isn't about us getting to heaven necessarily. The gospel is about us being united to the second person of the Trinity. That's why in all of Paul's letters, he continually says, in Christ you are blank. In Christ you have been forgiven. In Christ there is now no condemnation. It's always in Christ. Why? Because that is the gospel. The gospel is that God wants to be reconciled to you. The justification of your, your sins, the forgiveness of your sins by the blood of Jesus was in order for you to be united to him. Those were just the tools to get you to be united with Jesus. So that when the father says, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. He says that to you. The same way that he said it to Jesus. Can you imagine that? The Father speaking to you the same words that he spoke to the Son who existed with him for eternity in perfect unity, in perfect love, in perfect joy. That is the gospel, guys. You have been made one. You have been united to Jesus Christ. And because of that, all the blessings all the love, all the joy that exists within the Trinity is now given to you. 
C.S. Lewis called this the dance of the Trinity. The way that the Trinity relates to itself. And he said, now we get to dance with the Trinity. That should absolutely blow our minds and amaze us at the gospel. That this triune God, yes, mysterious, so mysterious. How can, how can something exist as one and three at the same time? Obviously, that's a mystery. But this is how the Bible, how God has revealed himself. This is who God is. And he says, now you have been brought into that love. There is no greater love. So, first point, mission and community reflects our God. So, when we do mission and community, it reflects this triune God. It reflects how Jesus did, uh, how Jesus did evangelism. Uh, it reflects the gospel, the fact that we're brought into this community. But secondly, God is present in the community. Listen to this quote by... A guy named Sinclair Ferguson. We're not just a teaching institution talking about Christianity. The word of God creates a new kind of community. And so the preaching of the word without the creation of that new kind of community ordinarily does not make the same evangelistic impact on the world around. But the, cre the creation of that community helps people to see that the word that is preached has illustrations in the, in the life of this new community that are beyond contradiction. Skip over the last one. Often one finds that people who think little of the gospel find that they cannot contradict the reality they experience when they come among God's people. And it's that reality that begins to work in their hearts, to open their ears, to listen, to what the word is actually saying. See what he's saying? This Christianity thing, this church thing, we're not just a teaching institution. The word that we preach, that we give, is made to create a new kind of community. And when that community is existing in the same kind of love as the triune God exists in, then when people who have no desire to know Jesus, who have no desire to hear you out about God, when they come into that and they experience that, he said that it is beyond contradiction. They cannot contradict what they have experienced. So, look at these few verses that back this up. This is from Psalm 133. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live life together. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers live life together. For there, where they live life together, God has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. I thought God commanded the blessing, life forevermore. When somebody heard John 3.16 and accepted Jesus. That's exactly right. And also where the brothers and sisters of the community live life together. When they dwell together in the unity of the Trinity. 
That's where God commands the blessing life forevermore. Meaning that when this community is existing that way, people are given new life. And when people from outside the community are brought into it and they experience it and they see it and they hear it and they feel it and they touch it and they smell it, they get to know Jesus. Look at this next passage. This is from John 17. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer right before he goes to the cross. And he's already prayed for his disciples that are there, that they would be unified, that they would have love, that they would share in his glory, that the Father would protect them and keep them. And then he says, Father, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You know who that is? That's you guys. So Jesus, 2,000 years ago, in this garden was praying for you, specifically that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. You see the unity of the Trinity there? That they may be one, just as you are in me, and I am in you. That they also may be in us. That's, that's the gospel being brought into the Trinity, that they may be in us, unified with the Trinity. Why? so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What? I thought I was supposed to go and tell people about the gospel by myself. No, Jesus is saying the community has to be unified in love the same way the Trinity is, and when that happens, the world may believe that you have sent me. Wow. Then he says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. The glory that the Father has given the Son, Jesus says, I have given to them. You know what, what kind of glory that you possess as a child of God? The same glory that the Son of God has. that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. How can we not do evangelism and mission in community if Jesus is praying this, his last prayer, that his people would be united as one so that the world would see it and that they would become believers. We can't do evangelism alone because this can't happen. We cannot display the glory and the <laughs> unity of the triune God alone. The only way that we can display it is if we do mission in community if we do evangelism in community. Typically we think, okay, I'm going to go reach this person that's outside of the church, that's outside the community of God. They're far from Jesus. You know, they're living, you know, on High Street in Richmond, Kentucky. And I'm going to go tell them about Jesus. And 
then I'll bring them, once they believe in Jesus, then I'll bring them, I'll introduce them and get them plugged in, right? That's what we always say, get them plugged in. They need to get plugged in way before they come to know Jesus. Because they need to experience the triune love and the glory of the triune God that he has set upon his community. So that they may believe that God has sent his son to die. Alright, last passage, well, just last verse. This is from 1 Corinthians. Paul says, he says it in multiple places, but you are the body of Christ. This is a really, really essential doctrine of the Bible. It's called body theology. What does it mean to be the body of Christ? Well, it means that Jesus didn't uh, stop loving people 2,000 years ago. Jesus didn't stop ministering to people 2,000 years ago. He didn't stop healing people and caring for the sick and reaching the marginalized and feeding the hungry and giving water to people who are thirsty and visiting prisoners and being with the poor. Jesus did not stop that 2,000 years ago. Body theology means that Jesus has continued to do that every year since he rose from the grave. Because we are the body of Christ. That we are the hands, we are the feet, we are the eyes of Jesus Christ. And that's not a metaphor. That is an actual reality of who we are as the people of God. And this is so hard for us to understand as Americans. Because when we read the Bible by ourselves, doing our time alone with God, we read it as if Jesus is speaking just to me. Jesus is speaking to you. But Jesus is primarily speaking to the community of God. So my encouragement to you all, this is kind of an aside, stop doing time alone with God. Start doing time together with God. Start reading the Bible together with people so that you can read it the way that it was supposed to be read, the way that it was read when it was written. You know, when Paul sent a letter to the church, do you know what would happen? They would receive the letter from one of his messengers the preacher would take the letter, he'd stand up in front of the congregation, and he would read the letter out loud to the whole church. Because the letter, the letter applied to the church collectively. But when we read the Bible, especially as Americans, right? Individualized, 21st century Americans, we read everything as only for us, only for me. And we think of our prayer life as primarily about my prayer life with God and my relationship with Jesus. But if we get to the Bible, it's about a communal relationship with God. And when Paul says, you are the body, he's not saying you individually are the body. That's an easy one to understand. But anytime Paul, pretty much anytime Paul says you, he's saying it like we say in Kentucky. He's saying y'all. He's saying, y'all are the body, right? Who's from like Minnesota up here? 
Sorry, you know, you probably don't understand that. <laughs> what do you say, you guys? Yes. Yeah. Um, the point is, when Paul says you, it's a plural you. It's a communal you. You as the community. You are the body of Christ. Now think about that and think about the people that you know that you want to know Jesus. Just think for a second. Who are the, if you had your top three list or whatever your campus does, and you think, okay, this person's on my, you know, in my fraternity or on my sports team or on the hall, one of my best friends, my major, whatever it is. And when you think you all are the community or the body of Christ, and you think, okay, Jesus is going to love this person through the body. That has so many implications of how you pursue them to know Jesus, doesn't it? What are some of them? Just off the top of your head. So, if you are the body, your community, your community is the body, and you have, uh, what's your like affinity group? Do you have an affinity group? Like, are you on a team or anything? Do you live in a dorm? you live in a dorm? Yeah. Okay. So, let's say you have five guys on your hall that uh, you really want to know Jesus. And when you think you are the body of Christ, your community, like your campus outreach community, your church community, you're the body of Christ, and you think, how is Jesus going to love this person today? Like Jesus doesn't just love people 2,000 years ago. How is Jesus going to love that guy today? What does that mean for how you're going to pursue him? What does that mean? Does that make any sense? Well, I think it really makes me want to um, like ask my friends like, who they are praying for, like, and also like for them to know who I'm praying for, like to like share the gospel with, and for us to like kind of link arms and share together and like provide community for those people too. Because our world really lacks community. People are lonely. Yeah. I think it means that we. I got like five guys I live with who are all part of my private group. And instead of going out and meeting up with all those people individually, get a crowd dinner coffee. Um, and buying them their like dinner and you know, whenever we're all hanging out, just like a day with So if if you individually aren't the body, but you collectively are the body, what does that say about you? 
that's right. You don't bring the whole Christ to that person. You need the body to bring the whole Christ. I'm like the, the very end of the toenail, you know? Like that's all I'm bringing. I need, like, I, these guys know I need my wife. Like, I use my wife big time because she is, like, the strong arm of Christ, you know? Like, just beautiful, like, loving, like, got so much joy. I'm like this knot on a log. You can't talk to me. But, man, when we go together, like, we're bringing a lot of Jesus. So you're not the body of Christ. That's a good thing. But when we do evangelism individually, it puts a lot, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be that thing. So when we go back to that list of ten, can you go back to that real quick? And you think about just these ten things that I've listed that goes into evangelism. And I think, man, I might be decent at two of those things. But when I start putting more people, I add more layers to that. Like, I'm, I'm decent at, like, praying for people. I'm decent at, like, calling people to repent. Sympathy, not so much. Service, not so much. Hospitality, not so much. Like, but when I start bringing the body in, then I'm bringing people like my wife that's like a 10 out of 10 on hospitality and a 10 out of 10 on sympathy. And then when I start bringing guys like Eli in, you got other gifts that cover these other things that have to go into evangelism. That's why doing evangelism in community is so much more effective and it's so much more dynamic, like I said at the beginning, because you're adding layers to presenting Jesus to people. And so, inviting people in to experience the body of Christ is a really, really powerful thing. It's not that we plug people in after they come to Jesus, but from the get-go, bringing people in to experience the body and the glory and the unity and the love that Jesus has given his people because he has united us to him. It's powerful. Because people get to tangibly experience God, whether they know it or not. So even the weird things that we do that hopefully become normal to the community, like singing together, so we sing at my house before we have dinner. We sing the doxology. We, we read a psalm together. Um, we talk about Jesus. We pray together. Those things are normal for the community, and they're freaking weird for people outside the community. <laughs> but people need to see it. People need to see the power of what we've been talking about. Because the community existing as the community is supposed to is like the flower, the budded flower to the seed of the gospel. You can't see the seed of the gospel. You can only see what comes to fruition. 
And what we're showing them when we ask them to come and experience the community is the flowering of the gospel. And so it's beautiful, it's powerful, and there's so much substance to it. There's fruit and there are flowers for them to behold and for them to take in. And it's really, really powerful for them. So, and when we have people that hate God, they come to our house and we sing together. And most of the time, the groups that we have are terrible singers. I mean, awful. I'm one of the worst. I probably sound pretty good right now because my voice is so, like, low. This would be one of my best things. But people come in and they experience that and they think it's weird as hell. And they're like, what is this? But you know what happens? Their worldviews start to crack. Because they're like, these people really believe this stuff. They pray to God like he's real. They talk to God like he's a father. Like, us telling people that God is a father is so powerful. But when people get to see and hear the children of God cry out to their father, like, that is beautiful. And so, my encouragement to you all is do all the weird stuff that Christians do right in front of them. And you can say, hey, this may be weird for you, but this is just kind of what we do. You don't have to participate, but we'd love for you to stick around. <laughs> and they may leave, and that's okay. But some will stay, and they'll experience it. story. Um, <laughs> this guy, uh, I won't name him, I'll call him Z. Uh, for years, a fraternity guy involved in one of the fraternities that we've been, you know, reaching out to at UKU. Uh, he was like the stereotypical craziest guy in Virginia. You know, the, you know, let's pray for that guy, because if he comes to Christ, we'll really know this guy. Uh, he was that guy, and he hated me, like I would go and share the gospel with his, you know, his fraternity brothers at the cafeteria, and two of his best friends became Christians, and they just loved on him, shared with him, didn't want anything to know about it, to do with it, um, but eventually what happened was the fraternity got in big trouble, he ended up being the scapegoat, he took the fall for the fraternity, and his life was a complete wreck. He's got a really hard story anyways. And uh, which is the reason for a lot of the way he acted in college. <clears throat> but he's a senior. He was a senior this past year. And all this stuff went down. And 
he was loved really, really well by those two guys who became Christians. Really, really well. And when all this stuff went down, nobody really cared that much except for those two guys. And he told me this. He said, you know, my life was falling apart, and I realized nobody really loved me except for the Christians. Nobody did. And so he said, well, I need to start going to the steps that they go to. You know, I need to start being around them because they actually love me. And so he started coming to Camps Outreach meetings, started coming over to our house, and we do these dinners together and the songs and the crazy stuff. And, and uh, anyways, through all of that, this crazy guy became a Christian because he was in the middle of the community of God. Even for the most part, it was just two people. And when I talk about you doing mission and community, it may be that you and one other person says, hey, we're going to be uh, in this dorm. We're going to focus and strategize on this dorm, on this hall. We're going to pray for them, fast for them, share with them, cook for them, love on them. And that's what happened to him. This guy that wanted nothing to do with Jesus because of the love of Christ through his people collectively, he became a Christian um, this past semester. Really, really powerful. Um, so that's my encouragement to you all, um, is, man, do evangelism, do mission, on, uh, or be on mission in the community. Um, Real quick, for maybe two minutes, what are some ideas that have been spinning in your mind about how you could apply this when you go, you know, back to campus uh, in January or uh, whatever you're doing? Maybe you've graduated or about to transition to a, an apartment or something. Any ideas? Yeah. Yeah, uh, my best friend, a lot of my best friends hate Christ, and probably any Christian in
Thank you all. Oh, thank you, Lord, for just allowing us to read your word and to be here together and to talk about uh, what you might do through your people. God, we believe what you've said about us. We believe that we are in Christ, and because of that, we share in the blessings of the Son. Lord, help us to believe that more. And we believe that we are the body, we believe that we are the body of Christ and that you are doing your bidding, your work, bringing your kingdom to bear on earth as it is in heaven through your people now. And we ask that you would help us to believe that and that you would do that through us. God, I pray that thousands of students and friends and family and neighbors for the next decades through this little group um, would come to Christ because you have sent us with your people. So use us, God, we pray. We want to see people worship you and to be brought in so we just try your love. So bless these students. Thank you for them, Lord. Bless their time. Bless this day in the conference. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at conyc.com.